When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Action Network Podcast. You can hear the chatter from the crowd. We have a big chance. A big chance to make a run for some big bucks. Three-pointer. Bang! Oh, what a man! Welcome to the Action Network Podcast. Buckets edition brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook. My name is Matt Moore. I'm the senior NBA writer for the Action Network. Glad to be with you. Thanks for joining us. We're going to preview the conference finals in the NBA playoffs as the Los Angeles Lakers take on the Denver Nuggets and the Miami Heat and the Boston Celtics face off as a bubble final four rematch on both sides of the bracket. And to help me break it down, give some best bets, we got Jason Temp. You can know him from Volume Sports from Hoops Tonight. Jason, how you doing? Dude, I'm doing great, Matt. I can't tell you how excited I am to talk. I know we're opening with Heat Celtics, but I've been stuck in my Lakers echo chamber for a couple of weeks now on Twitter, and I've got all this Lakers optimism. And what I want it, what I want to hear, is a good old fashioned case for the Nuggets, and I'm excited to hash that out with you and and uh, and get some uh, some quality perspective. I'm excited. Yeah. Man. I'll, you know, I'll try and make a case for the number one seed in the Western Conference. <laughs> I'll try and do that a little bit later on, but I want to start. We're going to go ahead. And we're going to get best bets for each series and then we'll break down kind of how we see it going. Basketball heavy podcast on this one with Jason. Uh, let's start with the Eastern Conference as the Boston Celtics fresh off a thrilling game seven win over the Philadelphia 76ers who flopped like dead fish. I don't know if did, can dead fish flop a if they can, they definitely, that's what it looked like. Uh, a horrible ending for the Sixers, but a great win for the Celtics. Jason Tatum shrugs off the game five struggles. He was, or game six struggles. Obviously, he showed up in late in that game and then was phenomenal. 51 in the closeout. Absolutely incredible performance. Celtics, huge favorites in the series. Minus 550 on the series. Price pure. Heat plus 390. Jason, what's your best bet for Celtics versus Heat? All right, Matt, my best bet would be Jason Tatum minus 180 for series MVP. And the case is pretty simple. I think, I think Boston wins. Um, if you, if you look at the way that Boston's offensive usage is broken down over the course of this playoff run, I just don't think Jalen Brown's going to average enough points in order to uh, get series MVP. We've also seen Philly do this, and I think we'll see uh, Miami do something different I, I or something similar. I wouldn't be surprised if they deployed Jimmy Butler on Jalen Brown as a little bit more of a strength versus strength type of matchup. And then you will see someone like Caleb Martin guarding Jason Tatum with a lot of ball pressure. And I think the idea there is I think, I think Miami wants Jason Tatum to take a bunch of off the dribble jump shots and things along those lines. I just think he naturally ends up being the scoring leader of the series. And quite frankly, like I really do view game six as a breakthrough moment of sorts for Jason Tatum. I mean, he had a rough pull-up jump shooting season all year. 
Uh, he shot below 30% on pull-up threes, struggled a little bit to start the postseason. That kind of felt to me like breaking through. And I think that is evidenced by the way he just attacked game seven from start to finish. So I think Jason Tatum's in a good groove. I think he's got a good chance to lead the, uh, the team in scoring by a significant margin. I think Boston wins. So if you wanted to bet Boston to win the series, but do so with better odds, I think Tatum minus 180 for series MVP makes a lot of sense. Okay, I like that one. Uh, I'm going to take my best bet is going to be the Miami Heat plus two and a half on an alternate series spread minus 134. So this is a nice com- confluence of two things I very much enjoy when I'm betting these series. One is that the market is forced into a window where it has to, to edge this in Boston's favor. There's no way for the power rating for them to be able to accurately push up the heat enough. Like they just can't get Miami up high enough to catch the team that was the title favorite up until basically late February and then became the title favorite immediately again after uh, the Bucks were eliminated. Like the Celtics became title favorites when Malcolm Brogdon signed or when they traded for Malcolm Brogdon in the preseason. They were the favorites all the way through until the Bucks took over the number one seed and then they reclaimed it. There's no way for the book to account for this. So we've got good value, I think, from a perspective of getting value on Miami and then this returns to the same thing that I bet uh, when I bet on the Sixers plus two and a half versus the Celtics. Boston's a great team. Like they really are. They're a great team. They're versatile and they're deep and they're switchable and they're sound and they have so many shooters and Tatum's great and Brown's great. They screw around. This team screws around and they screwed around three times versus the Sixers and almost lost a series that honestly they probably should have wrapped up in five or six games. They're going to do it again here because Miami is an undead monster. What happens is, in my opinion, matchups can determine how close a series is, but not who wins it. So the Celtics are better. The Celtics have edges. The Celtics are going to win the series. But the Heat are going to make this painful. It's what they do, and the Celtics make it painful on themselves. So I'm going to take plus two and a half. All I need is two wins. I don't expect Miami to win. I actually, one thing I will say Another one I very much like is correct score after two games. Heat 2-1 plus 350. <laughs> I actually really like. I like if I could parlay Heat 2-1 plus 350 with Celtics to win the series, I'd be all in on that because Jason, I think the Celtic the Heat are taking game one. I think the Celtics are gonna find themselves once again being like, what is wrong with this team? And then they're gonna win and finally and make the finals again. I am a thousand percent with you on this one. I love that. I love that Miami plus two and a half games. I, to me, it's, it's half the the messing around, which is absolutely true. I think you, I think you really saw that identity get solidified against the Hawks. Like they just, they cannot put teams away and they have not put a team away since, since the Brooklyn Nets last year. To me, it's also that. And, and I'm not, I'm curious to hear your opinion on this, but to me, Eric Spolster is the best coach in the NBA. I, I think, I think, I think he's the best in terms of, making in two ways making other teams play to their weaknesses but also covering the weaknesses for his specific team and with boston you can bait them into some things with heavy ball pressure because they love they have a bunch of guys who like to take pull-up jump shots if you go with heavy ball pressure and channel them into rim protection they tend to make poor rim decisions and they can get stagnant especially when they uh with miami switching the way that they do from time to time I believe that Eric Spolster is going to make these dudes play to their ugliest tendencies, which is naturally going to end up extending the series. I love the way you pointed that out. Like 
you the matchup might dictate how long the series goes, but the better team is usually going to win, right? And uh, my favorite example of that is like that 2015 Cavs. Like LeBron's a nightmare matchup for them and his ability to slow down the space, uh, the pace and make them get out of rhythm and to attack matchups all over the floor. But there was just never enough juice to, to have a real chance to win that series. And so I, that makes a ton of sense to me. They're going to make them uncomfortable. They're going to switch and stagnate. They're going to run them off the three-point line and try to channel them into help at the rim and bait them into bad decisions. To me, to me, it's almost a guarantee that this series goes long. I have um, from earlier in the playoffs when they first posted ECF, I grabbed Jalen Brown at a, at a really long number. He's still a very long number here based off of kind of what you talked about. He's still plus 500. Uh, that's for finals MVP for ECF. He's all the way down to plus 250. Um, what's interesting here is I, the idea of Butler on Brown is not something that I consider. And it's a really good point by you this morning at shoot around at practice. Rather um, Bam out said that, you know, he's willing and able, you know, he he is open to guarding Jason Tatum at times if that's the matchup that they want to go to, which makes a lot of sense if Horford starts and they don't go double big, right? If you don't mm-hmm. have to have Bam on Robert Williams because you're going to just need him for the size, um, then you can probably get away with Caleb Martin on Horford. Horford's not going to post up Caleb Martin and just be like, go to work. That's mm-hmm. that. If if he were to, this, the Heat would be like, sure, we will <laughs> accept that. That's fine with us. Um, and so the question, if Butler does guard Jalen Brown, obviously that gets a lot harder, especially with Brown struggles in terms of his handle, right? Jimmy's going to be mm-hmm. really physical up into him, cause him disruptions. He'll get him away from his spots most, most especially and make it harder on Jalen. I do kind of like Jalen in terms of Jalen, Jason Tatum in games, in game seven, basically got past all of the issues that he's had with his pull-up jumper, but that's been a problem for him over the last really year since he suffered the wrist injury last year, which was an under talked about kind of thing. Oh, I didn't know about that. Yeah. He had a wrist injury last year. It was like real under the radar. Um, I actually heard about it early. Like there were whispers about it earlier on, but it wasn't anything I felt confident in a bet. And then like after the finals, it was like, yeah, no, he, he had a, like a pretty bad wrist sprain and had to recover from it. And that's one of the reasons why Boston fans have kind of been like had an eye on some of his pull-up shooting is he's had like wrist injuries tend to take a long time to heal. Nikola Jokic is proof of that. He's he's dealt with that as well. Um, so Tatum's pull-up numbers haven't been awesome. He was elite in game seven when he absolutely cooked Joel Embiid. But like Jalen Brown's going to have a lot more of those opportunities, especially the Heat are playing more drop than I'm used to them seeing. Like they are no longer like the, we're just going to switch everything on you team. Like that's what this was in 2000 and. Um, 20 honestly and even last year is this was just two teams being like we're going to switch everything constantly just switch 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 switch, and it's all going to be tough one-on-one basketball because that's how it goes both of these teams have embraced a shallow drop a lot more as this has gone on but even then i kind of trust Jalen a little bit more to attack those kind of spots i don't mind taking Jalen there my question for you would be if they do move bam into guarding more of tatum when it's one big and horford uh, how do you see that matchup kind of playing out? I don't, again, I, I understand Bam holding up well when they do switch for yeah. whatever reason. But to me, I want to get underneath Tatum and Brown. I want guards and ball pressure. To me, that would be the best way to kind of play them into their worst tendencies. So like I, and and for the record, I prefer running drop coverage against teams that aren't great pull-up jump shooting teams. Right. And so with these, you know, Tatum, Brown, um, 
pick and rolls, I would want Bam Adebayo kind of like baiting them into tougher pull-up mid-range jump shots, especially with Tatum, who doesn't like to take them anymore. Now, like, did you see that crazy stat? I, I tweeted out the other day that James Harden was attempting four times as many mid-range jump shots as, as Jason Tatum in this wow. playoff, right? It just doesn't make any sense, right? Um, uh, and that's another big part of why I like the Jimmy Butler on Jalen Brown matchup is like Jalen Brown loves to use physicality to get to these short little fadeaways over both shoulders around 10, 15 feet, pull up jump shots at 10, 15 feet. Jimmy's got more capability of bumping him off of his base in those situations. Uh, but as far as Bam goes, yeah, like I think it'd be a waste to put him on the perimeter against those guys, especially if they plan on running more drop. I would want ball pressure, ball pressure, ball pressure. And Caleb Martin, to me, has actually done a really nice job in this postseason run of getting up underneath ball handlers and, and making them feel uncomfortable. I, I think I think that would uh, be the best path is just challenge their handle, funnel them into the paint, make them try to uh, uh, make good rim decisions at against Bam at a bio, counting on the the consistent rotations on the back end that you always get from a Spolster team. Spolster is going to randomly throw zone at them too, to try to throw them off. Like I, I, I'm so confident that we're going to have extended stretches of this series where the Celtics look out of sorts yep. because that's just what Eric Spolster does. Remember that game last year, I think it was game four where it was like, Oh, we're just going to pick them up at half court all game long. And they're just, they're just going to turn it over every possession. And we're going to get out, you know, like there's going to be extended stretches where they look like they're out of sorts. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing is the market can't account for this this gap. And also, I will say this, the market is probably not accounting for Tyler Hero. This cap, I think, to me, this cap reflects that Tyler Hero is still out. And I'm like, Hero probably returns at some point in this series. Is he but coming guys, back, you think? I think so. Guys get over mm -hmm. fractures a lot easier than they get over sprains, right? Which mm -hmm. is a crazy but true thing. Just like you break something and you're able to come back from it. And I think that if he's able to, to bring something, just a little bit of scoring, because they're going to need it. Looking at the Heat scoring is absolutely, it's really funny. So, for example, the first three games versus Milwaukee, their effective field goal percentage. And if you don't know, um, if you're not a big, big stats guy, why would you look at a, uh, who wants to look at a graph and a hoops combo? <laughs> if you're that kind of person, if you're like 55% or better, it's like, that's okay. If you're in the 60s, that's really good. Um, the first three games of the the Buck series were 685 for the Heat, 63.1, 63.1. Here are the last four games for the Heat in the Knicks series. 42.8, 54.7, 49.4, 44.5. Like, the Heat basically got the shooting that they needed to pull off the upset as an eight seed, got a Knicks team that was not probably, in my opinion, really shouldn't have been there, and then they got banged up and worn out by Miami and got out coached by Spolstra. And then like the, the heat offense went back to what they've been all season, but it didn't matter because they already had a team on the ropes by the time that they got there. Mm -hmm. So like the, the thing is, is in the series, I, I honestly, and I'd be curious on your thoughts on this, Jason. I think we're going to see a lot of blowouts because I think there's going to be games where Boston's is composed and the offense is functioning and they're hitting shots and it's, Celtics by 15 and then there's going to be games when the Celtics look like absolute disasters they're turning the ball over and the Heat have a I think the variance in this series is going to be pretty high which is odd because the Heat had a record number of clutch games this season um clutch I think definitely leans towards Miami like if Miami's going to win oh, the yeah. series they need more clutch games but I kind of think we're going to see a lot of games where it's very tilted 
Yeah, it's funny. I have a, a couple of Knicks fans that are on our uh, team at the volume, and I had one of them message me like late in the series. I think it was during game five or game six, and he goes, he's like, man, like I just can't believe how well Miami's been shooting in this series. And I'm like, they're not really shooting all that well. If you look, if you look at it like this, like I'm like, you must be forgetting the Milwaukee Bucks series where Jimmy Butler was making every damn pull-up jump shot that he took. <laughs> like the, part of the reason that that uh, Jalen Brunson possession took place where he had the ball down two with 14 seconds left or whatever, big part of that was Jimmy Butler got to a couple of late pull-up jump shots that he was hitting against Milwaukee that he was not hitting um, against the Knicks. I, I, I agree. I think that we'll see Celtics blowouts. I just don't know that Miami has the firepower to blow out the Celtics team. And maybe I'm wrong about that. And at the same time, like, I, I think that, I think that on the Miami front, if Miami wins the series, which is, I think you and I both agree is an extreme long shot. You're going to have a game two from the 2011 finals, Dallas, Miami type of situation. Like there's going to be some game that Boston has control over of, and, and they're up 14 with seven minutes left. And the next thing you know, it's like like uh, uh, Missoula is calling a timeout because it's a two point game after another Jimmy Butler pick at half court run out dunk. You know what I mean? Like they're going to they're going to have to steal one. And then uh, to me, like that's kind of a smart veteran team thing as well, where it's like, oh, it's game two. We've already stole game one. Let's punt and not waste our older legs trying to keep this game close. We'll let this one go kind of thing. So I, I could see some blowouts in the series. I just don't think Miami has the firepower. I should be clear. A Celtics blowout looks like 30 points. A Miami blowout looks like 12. That's a yeah, exactly <laughs> 12 points. Uh, is Kevin Love playable in this series? See, this is the thing that freaks me out just in general uh, with Boston. Should they make the finals if the Lakers get there? Um, in my opinion, the one big weakness with the Lakers roster is containing dribble penetration with teams that can space them out. Um, that consistently was a problem even down the stretch of the season in the regular season when they were trying to uh, fight for play-in positioning. I freak out about their five out lineups with Al Horford and Anthony Davis just being further away from the paint and them needing to contain dribble penetration. And Boston's going to be able to put Miami in some similar predicaments. Um, that said, like, I just, you could have said the same thing about like, oh, is Kevin Love going to be able to stay on the floor as New York is is uh, running just a million Jalen Brunson pick and rolls? And it's like, eh, actually they did, you know, and is, is Kevin Love going to be able to handle downhill rim pressure from Giannis and Drew Holiday? It's like Eric Spolstra just has found a way to make it work. I think, I think in large part by simplifying his role, like you could tell they were really focused on him just being a dominant rebounder in that last series. Like as long as you box out, we'll cover for you elsewhere on the floor, like those kinds of things. And, and so I just, I have a feeling that Spolstra will find a way, maybe it's through a zone. Like maybe it'll just, cause Miami zone is like the only zone I've seen that actually works. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know if it's just cause they practice it more or what the deal is, but uh, I, I, I don't know if it's zone. I don't know if it's just a lot of help and pick and roll coverage or, or just really good rotations on the back end. But I have a feeling they'll find a way uh, to keep him on the floor. A lot of this too is the Celtics just don't run a lot of pick and roll. Like that's just not who they are. They're built a lot more off of perimeter action, um, moving the ball side to side. And then, you know, isolation with Tatum and Brown. And so, you know, in those situations, I don't know who the player is that's going to get, you know, a love on him to be able to, to really take advantage of that. If smart ends up on him on a switch, if they run off ball screens and sure, like Marcus smart might attack him. He'll probably live with that. 
Like there's all these kind of situations where they can probably get by um, on the offensive end. It'll be, I think just kind of in, as interesting in terms of what role uh, love plays, if he can space the floor a little bit to be able to get some of Boston from, from not collapsing at the rim. Um, that's obviously, I think really important. It, it is really interesting in that the Sixer series was so demanding in terms of the mechanisms of pick and roll with Harden and Embiid and how much yep. they had, like they were one of the reasons I like Boston to win the series after game five was um, I had no idea what they were doing in game five. Like their, their, their defensive coverage on Joel Embiid was mind boggling. Like, Hey, Joel, would you like the exact shot that made you MVP all game? We're just going <laughs> to give it to you. How about we just give it to you the, the, the shot that made you MVP. We'll give it to you all game. Um, and then they just tightened it up in six and seven. They, they did a really good job in, in both game six and seven of either blitzing the ball handler and bringing in the help side defender to tag and be on the short roll or just hedge and recover and being really cognizant of where he wanted to get that ball. Um, this heat team is, is, is very different in terms of the dynamics of how they run the offense. Uh, and so much of this, it really is. It's funny. Like Sixers Celtics was like a tactical matchup of this versus that and this and like how are you okay you got to do this and then this and then you got to be here and you got to be in this position versus Harden and make sure that you can recover and you got to dare PJ Tucker but don't let him get to the and then this series is basically just like I don't know man Jimmy Butler might just do some shit like <laughs> it's just kind of wild uh, is there let me ask you this question what is more these two situations we agree are unlikely but I, I do want to get your thoughts on it. Is it more likely that Jimmy Butler wins uh conference finals MVP in a loss or that someone other than Jimmy Butler wins conference finals MVP for the heat? Uh, you mean for the Celtics? No. Oh, the oh, for the heat. Okay. Yeah. Well, isn't, isn't Bam at a bio like plus 4,400 or something insane? Something like that. Something uh, yeah. I would think, I don't think it's to me, it's like, the point totals are just like, even if Boston loses the series, Tatum's going to average 28. Like, like we can talk all we want about the, uh, about the, uh, um, the approach. And like, there are some shot charts. There are some games where I watch a bad Tatum game and I pull up the shot chart and I'm like, bro, it's all, it's all above, above the break threes and shot. Like, dude, have some variance in your game so that you're a little more, uh, less predictable, but the, the value is, and this is where the analytical approach uh, has its, it has its advantages is even, in that kind of limited approach, he's just going to get to 28 points just because of shot value and his ability to get to the foul line. Right. So like, I just don't see a universe where Boston wins the series and Tatum is averaging 28 and doesn't win the conference finals MVP. So, uh, so from that standpoint, I, I would think it'd be, I think it would be pretty unlikely that Jimmy would win as a loser. Hey, this is Action Network Audio Director Matt Mitchell inviting you to head into the sports betting summer with new gear that's built to last. And our folks at Shady Rays, friends of the podcast, they have you covered from the sun to the slopes to out at sea with their premium polarized shades. Shady Rays is an independent sunglasses company offering world-class products just as good as any expensive pair you've ever worn. And like our betting podcasts, their sunglasses offer the clearest possible optics. Shady Rays also offers the most bananas protection in all of eyewear. Every pair of their sunglasses is backed by lost and broken replacements. So what does that mean? Here's what they told me. It means if you lose or break your pair, even a minute after they arrive, 
Shady Rays will send you a brand new pair, no questions asked. Plus, if you don't love them, just exchange them for a new pair or even return them for free within 30 days. There's no risk when you shop with Shady Rays. Their team always has your back. Basically the opposite of betting on the Oakland A's. So exclusively for our podcast listeners, Shady Rays is giving out their best deal. Go to ShadyRays.com and use code ACTION for 50% off two or more pairs of polarized sunglasses. Try for yourself the Shades rated five stars by over 200,000 people. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Uh, all right, let's 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 go to the Western Conference. Oh, here we go. Lakers, <laughs> Nuggets. I'm based here in Denver. Not a Nuggets fan, but I do cover the team. Lakers, as a, as a seven seed, have made the conference finals. Uh, we'll get into all sorts of stuff with this fascinating series. The Nuggets have never beaten the Lakers in a conference finals series. They've never beat the Lakers in a playoff series. They are over versus the Lakers all time. Uh, what's your best bet for Lakers Nuggets? Okay. I would bet Lakers four, two at plus 400. Yeah. I think that um, this, this team kind of reminds me a little bit of Boston in that they have the wildest oscillations between their best punch and their worst punch. Yep. Uh, with Boston, I think it stems from arrogance. With the Lakers, I think it stems from energy conservation. I don't think it's a coincidence that not only have their series followed uh, identical paths in terms of wins and losses, but they followed identical paths in terms of the close games. The same games have been close. Game one, game one, game four, game four, right? And then pretty much everything else has been blowouts. It, and I think it stems from LeBron James and Anthony Davis and these extended stretches of physical exertion versus when they're more in a, in a coasting type of mood. So if the Lakers were to win the series, I think it's extremely likely that's, that it's in six. There's even a even wilder bet you can make. Plus 2,300 for exact series path. Lakers win game one, Nuggets win game two. Lakers win three and four, Nuggets win game five. Lakers win game six. Um, I have a feel like, cause it, if the Lakers, I have a feeling the Lakers will bring a great effort tomorrow night, yep. which would mean that game two, it'd be very difficult if they fell down. Oh, one to come back again and bring that energy. Cause they just haven't really brought consecutive dominant efforts yet in this postseason, uh, And just what that means for LeBron and Anthony Davis and their bodies. I'll say this though, cause I'm, I'm, I'm really excited to hear your take here because I have a ton of Lakers optimism I believe in this team. I do. Um, that said, I know I'm a fan. I joke on my show. This is my one blind spot because my childhood fanhood of LeBron and the way that that just sways everything that I see the game. I am terrified of this Nuggets team. I have so much respect for Nikola Jokic. I think there's a decent chance that he just resoundingly outplays Anthony Davis. And if he does, I think this could be over quickly which is why my other best bet that I put was Nuggets to win the series in five at plus 410. Interesting. And the path there would be the Nuggets win one and two, and then they they get a split in LA, and then they close out in game five at home. I think if the Nuggets win this series, I think it's quick. 
Uh, and if Jokic outplays Anthony Davis to the point where he's in foul trouble or they have to consistently send a ton of help in post-ups and in role situations, I think they get picked apart by the shooting and I think it becomes an issue. But if Anthony Davis stonewalls Jokic, I think the depth of the Lakers roster, the LeBron James element, I think could carry the Lakers through the day. So I think a bet I would recommend if you, this is how you're feeling. If you're a, a Lakers better, to me, the best bet is Lakers to win game one, Lakers to win the series at plus 280. You Ooh. get almost three to one on essentially this is like, there's so many reasons to take this. The Lakers, as you mentioned, this has been the script for them. Balls to the wall game one, steal game one on the road completely surrender and crater in game two <laughs> don't care got the split gonna go back save them legs go back home balls of the wall game three put the pressure on them in game four give up game five finish it in six that's been their script through two rounds if the lakers take game one the nuggets now have to win on the road they have been a bad road team all season they finished under 500 they are under 500 5 and 8 when nikola jokic is a dog on the road they are 1 and 2 in the playoffs in that situation it is the question a lot of this does get into what is more likely that the lakers steal a road game or the nuggets steal a road game and if you believe in the lakers enough to think that, that they will steal one then you should absolutely be on lakers game 1 plus 280 you can also do score after three games as i mentioned earlier if you don't want to go into exactly game one if you think they well they might lose game one but then come back and hit them in game two you can also get nugget uh lakers 2-1 at plus 186 that gives you a little bit more room there but i do think that plus 280 in game one before the nuggets have a chance to adjust i think is really crucial um neither of these is my best bet for the series because my best bet for the series is going to be good old-fashioned minus one and a half for the Denver nuggets plus 154 i get the number one seed in the western conference with home court to win in less than seven games uh i talked about this on buckets and i want to go through it right now a big reason why if you say like you don't even think the lakers can push it to seven here's the thing Everyone that tells you that they're taking X team and seven means I don't know. That's what that means. It means they're basically a coin flip. And if they take the home team, they're like, well, it's a coin flip, but this team's better and they're at home. Thanks. Bold, bold stuff. Thanks for really laying it out there. Most series don't go seven. If they do go seven, it's because of things like what we saw in the Sixer series, right? Where it's like the Celtics lose game one without Joel Embiid playing and then mm -hmm. completely melt in game five. Most scenarios, they do end in six. And for me, I do believe in the Nuggets and home court. They've been so good there all year. They've been so great in the playoffs. They are such a beast. I The series is tough for me. It really is because what this is, is this is history versus the basketball side. The history of this says the Lakers are going to win. The Lakers always win. That's what they do. You could have bet my favorite NBA betting stat. Since 2000, you could bet blind the Lakers to win the finals every year since 2000, including a five-year stretch, which was the worst in franchise history, and you'd be up money right now. <laughs> that's how that's, much that's they insane. win at the numbers that they get. Um, that said, what I do think is interesting, though, is there is like this idea of that's the narrative side of this. So we get past like all the basketball stuff. This gets into like, okay, but the Lakers and like they win and LeBron and do, do they win? If you go back, the Lakers were favored in most of those series because they were great teams. If you go back, here are the four times that LeBron has won as an underdog. 
He has won in the underdog as an underdog in a series. He's he's only been in a dog outside of the fi- finals versus the Warriors a handful of times. But the times that he's won as a dog, the 2018 Raptors Conference semifinals. That's right. The Raptors were favored. <laughs> this is where we throw our heads back and laugh <laughs> in that series. The 2016 Warriors, obviously, they were dogs in that series and 3-1 comeback. The 2012 Thunder series, they were actually dogs in that first Heat championship. Surprising, but true. They were actually dogs of that Thunder team. And the 2007 Pistons Conference semifinals when he went. Well, they were dogs this year against the Warriors, too, weren't they? Uh, they were. I'm sorry. This is before yeah. the season. Gotcha, this gotcha. That makes when sense. When is LeBron won as, as a dog before the season? Mm-hmm. So, like, the history has kind of said that LeBron has won when he's been a favorite. And when he's lost, it's been because the other team is better. And that like that to me does factor into this is like the books still believe that the Nuggets are power rated better. And the reason that is, is because the Nuggets have been better. It'd be one thing if it was like, well, the Nuggets were number one, but they've been only okay in the playoffs, but they've been great in the playoffs. Yes. I'm really fascinated by the the argument of trying to figure out which of these teams is more real because the, the temptation is to be like, the Lakers just beat the defending champions who had never lost in a Western Conference playoff series. The counter argument is the Lakers just beat a team that went seven games with the Kings mm-hmm. and maybe should have lost, had a very middling, very middling offensive rating the entire season in the Warriors, and were, bat- were terrible, terrible on the road all season. Now, the Nuggets are not good. The Warriors were terrible. On the flip side, it's the Nuggets faced the Suns with Kevin Durant and Devin Booker and a whole lot of nothing. And then they face the Wolves, who no one really thinks is serious. I actually think the Wolves probably were like a pretty like a tougher matchup than probably it seems on paper with a lot of the stuff that gets into this. My biggest tactical question for you, um, I think you're you're right in the Davis thing, where another reason if you're looking at Lakers and you're like, well, I don't want to bet like I don't want to bet number of games. I just want to bet the Lakers to win, but that number isn't great for a seven seed at plus one thirty. Um, I do think you can get value on betting uh anthony davis to win western conference finals mvp because to me that really is like so much of the series is if anthony davis is the best player in the series the lakers are going to win because it means that Jokic was not able to dominate and davis was hitting mid-range jumpers if nikola Jokic is the best player in the series the nuggets are going to win because that means the lakers couldn't solve him and to me that really is what so much of this comes down to can can Jokic pull Davis out far enough to help the back line so the Lakers can't just clog the paint as they've dominated so much in the playoffs? Uh, can Jokic hit tough contested shots over Davis just to try and break a little bit of what they want to do? There's been some numbers floating today about how much the Lakers doubled Jokic in the regular season. Regular season's a different animal. Um, I, I want to ask you that question. How much do you expect the Lakers to say, to dare Jokic to beat Davis one-on-one and stay home versus how much do you think they bring help both in pick and roll and post-ups? I think it starts with them leaving him on an Island. Um, I, I went back and watched as, as much of the, and all of course, as is usually the case with this Lakers season, all the f- yes. footage involves pre deadline stuff. Yeah. Uh, but I, I saw like Anthony Davis has a little bit of a high center of gravity and Jokic doesn't have too much trouble bumping him off of his spots. Yeah. That freaks me out. So um I think that it's going to be an absolute battle as it pertains to Anthony Davis trying to figure him out over the course of the series. And that's kind of where I see it. It's less to me about game one, game two, but at some point over the course of the series, can Anthony Davis figure out how to handle Jokic on an island? Because from there, 
I think if they can guard the Murray Jokic pick and roll two on two or Jokic post ups one on one, I actually really like the Lakers chances in the half court to hang and be able to give this offense some problems. The problem is, is Jokic gives Anthony Davis issues on a couple of specific fronts. Anthony Davis really struggles with physical offensive rebounding bigs that can uh, knock him off a position when he offers some sort of help to a guard, right? So like he waves a hand at a pull-up shooting guard and the dude just ducks in and hits him out of the lane, gets an offensive rebound that can give him some problems. Um, Anthony Davis can struggle in transition running the floor and Jokic. I mean, they're the first matchup they had this year in Denver. Jokic straight up dominated Anthony Davis just in transition by pushing the ball up the floor, sprinting up and down the floor for cross matches and, and getting quick post-ups because Anthony Davis wasn't matched up. He's got a bunch of unique things that will actually cause uh, Anthony Davis problems. Now you said uh, hitting mid range jump shots, you know, it's so interesting. And, and it's to me, what makes this Laker team so unique. Anthony Davis can get away with devoting the lion's share of his resources to the defensive end because of the offensive versatility of this roster. I am really curious to see, in my opinion, I actually put this down as one of my best bets um, for LeBron to average more than 5.8 assists per game. You can get that at minus 115 right now. And I, I look at it from the standpoint of the Nuggets pick and roll coverage and the fact that they're probably, I, they had Aaron Gordon going over screens often. Um, and uh, in a traditional drop coverage, Jokic a little bit high, kind of like that similar high drop to what they were running against the Suns with a lot of paint attention behind him. Now, as I'm watching those foot that footage, I'm seeing Patrick Beverly on the weak side and I'm seeing Troy Brown Jr. on the weak side. So like they're able to load up in a little bit of a different man- manner in that footage. But to me, like, I think you can get away on the offensive end, running everything through LeBron and the guards with token post-ups and touches for Anthony Davis, which allows him to devote his attention to uh, Jokic on the defensive end. So to me, it's literally that simple. You laid it out perfect. If Jokic can control defensively, or if, if Anthony Davis can control Jokic on the defensive end of the floor, I think that's enough to win the series. But like legitimately Jokic is, is equipped in a way that attacks a lot of AD's specific weaknesses. So I would not be the least bit surprised if this ends up looking a little bit like Hakeem in the mid nineties, just running through all the bigs. <laughs> I know the answer to this, but I'm very curious to get your thoughts on it. Uh, how different is the Jokic Davis matchup from 2020 in the bubble? I think it's completely fundamentally different. Uh, I think Jokic was ascending. Um, but I'm seeing a a player that has a command of the game that he didn't have back then, specifically as it pertains to knowing when it's time to score the basketball. Yeah. One of my biggest things that I used to get critical of Jokic with in the past, and you know, one of my favorite examples of that this year was the Embiid game, is like sometimes the game calls for you to be the aggressor. And I think that clicked a lot in the Sun series in particular, where he was just like, you know what, my team's best chance to score here is I'm just bigger than all these dudes. So I'm 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 gonna get to these little pop shots and hook shots in the lane. Ironically, that's the the thing that's missing from Embiid, in my opinion, is he just doesn't have a reliable push shot, hook shot in the lane that he can go to that's not a jumper the way that Jokic does. Um, but I I I think Jokic is twice the player he was in 2020. What do you think? Yeah, the control of the game is a really good way to put it. It's really, to me, like what defines um, greatness in the NBA is how much do you control the game. And Jokic's ability to, like, KD's talked about this in his post-game press conferences about Jokic and other guys have mentioned it. You can't speed him up. 
You can't speed him up. You can't slow him down. Everything is what he wants to do. You try and bring a double to get him a little frantic. He's going to read it and he's going to make a pass. And oftentimes the biggest thing with this passing, and it's actually going to be pretty, usually it's not because playoffs are pretty simple. I think it's going to be a little bit more complicated in this series. One of the biggest, best things about Jokic's passing, he doesn't just make the, what I would refer to as the Houston Rockets pass, which is like, oh, they collapse. I'm going to kick to a spot up shooter is he anticipates the coverage, the closeout to it, fakes it, and then finds the cutter underneath on the second sequence. And like mm. those little plays are like so high level and they're very difficult to get to. It's funny is like the Lakers are so good at the base stuff that they're, they're going to have to go to some of these secondary mechanisms to get past all the Lakers, very good rotations and sense of, of spacing and things like that. What's interesting I think is, and this still remains true um, in the playoffs, when Nikola Jokic scores more than 38 points, I include this because like a 39 game, he had a 39 point game, which is basically the same as a 40. The Nuggets are one and three in the playoffs <laughs> when Jokic scores 38, 39 points or more. So the idea of of making him a scorer has a lot of validity to it. Now, one of the problems here is like, if he's scoring, it's usually because the other guys aren't hitting shots. So there's a correlation here, right? Which is like, if other guys are scoring, he's happy to get 25 to 30, even 20 to 25, and rack up 15 assists. Like, that's what he'd like to play. Like, Jokic's ideal game would probably be, like, well, honestly, it'd probably be, like, 10, 20, and 20. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but, like, if he's scoring, it, it's usually because it's needed, and it will be needed in the series. Like, you're absolutely right that, it, it is needed in the series, by the way, when he has more than 10 assists, six and four in the playoffs. Um, that question of Davis and if he can handle him alone, fouls are also going to be a big part of this too, man. Like both ways. Got in really bad foul trouble in 2020 uh, on, I mean, the, the calls were, I think not great, like in general, <laughs> but that's not a surprise. Like this is the thing with the Lakers is like Lakers fans will say they're really physical. This is what they do. They, they draw fouls on you with their physicality. Absolutely true. It's about the degree to which they do. Um, Austin They're Reeves. Grifters. They're grifters, Austin man. Reeves is a guy that I think is going to be really important <laughs> in the series. Like if we go through the guys that are going to be important in the series. I think it's like Aaron Gordon and Austin Reeves. I do have this question for you. I didn't think D'Lo was going to be playable versus the Warriors. And the fact that the Warriors couldn't play him off the floor, I think is a huge indictment of where Golden State was. Is D'Lo playable in this series? I, I would imagine so. He actually competed pretty well defensively i thought there were there were a handful of missed box outs missed rotations bad transition defense possessions but like like he held up pretty decently well against andrew wiggins in isolation situations i thought he's kind of underrated big like he's a little bit big and strong um the i've I've always been more concerned with d'angelo russell and his shot selection and decision making on the offensive (laughs) end of the floor the lakers have actually managed to to uh keep him playable i've never actually in my time watching d'angelo russell with the lakers thought man he's absolutely killing us on the defensive end of the floor uh now that that remains to be seen with this nuggets team but again that to me comes down to the anthony davis matchup like if he if we have to guard the pick and roll three on two, and we have to guard the post two on one and D'Lo's running around in rotation, I think it could be a problem. Uh, But I'm not, and this to me is, I think this Laker team in general holds up pretty well against ancillary offensive pieces. This has been a theme for them since 2020. Um, But like they, they defended Clay Thompson phenomenally well. 
right? Like they defended Jer- like Jaron Jackson. I thought they defended pretty well for the most part. They figured out how to stop Desmond Bain by the end of the Memphis Grizzlies series. Like they, their guards compete. Ham usually has a scheme that works for that specific player and his weaknesses. I'm less worried about D'Angelo Russell and more worried about can the Lakers play their wings? Yeah. Because with Jared Vanderbilt, it's an offensive limitation. I believe that if Jared Vanderbilt starts, I wouldn't even be surprised if you saw Nikola Jokic guard him from time to time. Um, and then you put Aaron Gordon on uh, 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 Anthony David front and bracket, you know, in the post yeah. or just straight up double. Um, you're going to, but, and then with the Rui Hachimura thing, it's the locking and trailing Denver has so many screening actions that they run for Michael Porter, Jr. Catavius Caldwell Pope and for Jamal Murray and Rui struggles with screen navigation. And so that was how the warriors basically played him out of that series was he couldn't run off the screens. And then if you can't play your two forwards, they have to downsize and they have to go to the three guard lineups. And then they start to really struggle with rebounding and they gave up 12 offensive rebounds with their three guard lineup in the first half against the Warriors. So I'm I'm like Darvin's so good at reading the guards and being like, Oh, D'Lo doesn't have it tonight. We're going heavy on Dennis and Austin. Oh, Dennis doesn't have it tonight. We're going heavy on D'Lo and Austin, you know, but with the, with the forwards, if Jokic can play them off of the floor, that's where I think the Lakers could run into some problems because now when they go small, LeBron's engaged to cover for that lack of size, which can be a weakness for that group because they only want to bring it when they have to. And so that I'd be keeping an eye on Rui and Vando. Yeah. On the, on the other side, I don't, the Nuggets don't know what to do with LeBron. Like I, they will not, they're not going to say that, but I'll just tell you like, they don't know what to do. Like AG is going to guard him. But if you run, if he, if he runs their base coverage is, one four switch one five at level LeBron is the best ball handler in the league at this point at reversing to the weak side. Like he is, it's a laser every single time. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to cut you off actually. Cause this is directly related to that. Did, did you feel like the Phoenix suns left meat on the bone, picking you guys apart and pick and roll With weak side kick passes? I think what really kind of happened was we found collectively, I think we found out that Devin isn't there yet in that pass. Kevin's never been really good at it. And I don't think Kevin's ever like, I think Kevin's a really good passer in versus drop coverage. Like he can make multiple reads, but versus blitz coverage, he's always kind of trying to like force his way out of it. Devin's a really gifted passer, but we did kind of see that heavy pressure. He was really frustrated with it. Like, it's kind of funny because it goes back to the summer league, don't double me thing. But, like, Devin really struggled making that. Now, he did it, and then they found Landry Shamit, and, like, Shamit had that huge game four where he has 17 in part because of those shots. I don't know that there's that much meat on the bone because I think from an NBA perspective, you're always going to be like, I'm going to take what the defense gives me, right? And the Nuggets have gotten pretty good in their containment there. The problem is just, like, Look, you can apply pressure, but it's LeBron. He's six eight and a monster and one of the smartest basketball players ever. And able like there was a time 2011-ish where he would get in a lot of trouble jump passing. And then like by like 2014, that was gone. Like he was like he can jump, he can jump pass whenever he wants to, right? Like just fading away, jump pass, overhead, boom, laser to the corner, kick out corner three. And if that's Delo or Austin Reeves or Lonnie Walker or Rui, any of those guys. That's a high percentage look for a Lakers team that needs high percentage looks in this series. Like there is, again, we get back to like the, the interesting thing about these two paths and a very easy thing is the nuggets have not faced 
anything defensively like these Lakers. The Lakers have faced nothing like what they're going to see offensively from this Denver team. Of course. I agree. So they got to get their offensive efficiency up, which is why I think that that's really key. Um, On switches, I do think that LeBron's going to be able to hunt. He's going to be able to hunt down Jamal. And if you hunt down Jamal, do you send a naked double? If you send the naked double, you wind up in the same situation where it's like, okay, who's open, right? The Lakers have enough scorers to make it at least like to be able to generate enough offense. Um, Their half court offense still isn't elite. It's just not like, it's not, Mm. this is not an elite half court offense. They're going to need to create turnovers, turnovers and force it in transition where Denver has been really weak. They've been good in these playoffs, but this, that's a very big weakness for them. And then the the Lakers proved in 2020, they can win that way. Just push the ball and score. Um, But I am really curious to see what they do with LeBron because you have these two kind of, again, kind of competing factors of the Nuggets don't have a good option if he's able to get Aaron Gordon shook loose of him. And even Aaron Gordon's going to have trouble because it's LeBron versus this is not the LeBron James that we've seen over the last couple, like for the last two decades. This is a lesser version because of the foot injury and age. And like that gap is probably going to determine a lot of the series. If he summons the power, he can get them through the series. If he can't, then the Nuggets offensive floor is high enough maybe for them to win. Well, again, if it's the, if it's game six late in the series, I have no doubt that LeBron can tap into it for one game. Sure. But yeah, like expecting him to dominate the series, I think is 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 unrealistic at this point. To me, hedging is going to be a huge part in this series uh, because I believe that LeBron demonstrated in game six and has demonstrated in several stretches over the course of this postseason that he is still an absolute handful in the post. Uh, but that said, Aaron Gordon's a much bigger and stronger player than Andrew Wiggins is. And I actually really like that matchup for Denver in the post uh, if, if LeBron tries to work there. But I think he's going to be doing a ton of what he did towards the end of the series, which is calling up Steph Curry's man, Jordan Poole's man into high screens and trying to get downhill uh, 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 or get a switch there. And that that's where you have to take advantage of the fact that Austin in particular, D'Angelo and Dennis are not great movement shooters. They're not guys that can quickly pick and pop to the three-point line and get their feet set. Ironically, Lonnie Walker is probably their best guard at pick and pop shooting, which is why they ran so many of those uh, guard-to-guard screens with him towards the end. But like LeBron's going to try to pick on on Jamal and KCP a ton in the post, and the best way to to cover that I think would just to be to hedge hedge and recover, and basically say dare Austin Reeves or D'Angelo Russell to take a movement three going side to side. Um, that said, like if they start if LeBron starts getting the matchups he wants in the post, that's where I could see them really starting to slow down the pace of the game and bully him inside a little bit. But there, I I agree. Like there's no they have not faced. Uh, a defense of this caliber, but the Lakers have not faced an offense of this caliber. That's why I think early in the series, these games could have some funky results. There's going to be a lot of feeling each other out to start this series. Yeah. I think the other thing is um, the bench rotations really becoming interesting because Davis is basically his natural rotation is he's just going to mirror Jokic. They're both going to play all first. They're going to come back in between 10 and eight minutes in the second and four and fourth, and then play the duration but LeBron plays that stagger rotation and that's where the nuggets have been at their most vulnerable is whenever the Jokic is not on the floor. What's interesting in the contrary is that I think I looked at this morning, the Lakers have like a 98.7 offensive rating when AD is not on the court in the playoffs. And like, that's like what, but it's, that's very true. However, maybe the series is easier because you won't be going against Draymond green um, and you won't be going against the, the Grizzlies very good half court defense. And instead you're going to be going against like Jeff green and Bruce Brown, like, 
LeBron, if he's going to have a big series, he'll be able to pick on that second unit because he'll have his choice of, do I want to attack a smaller Bruce Brown or a slower Jeff Green? And either one of those is a mismatch for him, even in a diminished state. If he can't be those, then yeah, they're in trouble. They got to win those minutes. Okay. So you like Lakers in six. I like Nuggets in six. We'll see how it shapes out. That's Jason Tim from Volume Sports. You can find him on Hoops Tonight. Make sure to follow him on Twitter as well. It's in the episode description. Thanks for joining us, everybody. We'll be back later this week with more episodes. I think we've got okay, we got NHL coming up. Lots of stuff. Make sure to keep it here on the Action Network podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, make sure to check out Buckets. It's our NBA betting podcast, daily podcast all throughout the week. We've got conference finals previews up. Thanks for joining us, everybody. Have yourselves a good day. Until next time, let's get Buckets. Action Network reminds you, please gamble responsibly. If you or someone you care about has a gambling problem, help is available 24-7 at 1-800-GAMBLER.